This is Africa Digest. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. The time is 1700 hours Central African time. We on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. We are also on channel 902 on the DSCV Okay. My name is Spomela Lezondi. In studio with me is Asanda Mataonyane. Misani Matebula has your economic news and time it goes as on sport. Let's take a look at the top stories. Counting begins following elections in Guinea-Conakry. AU asks the ICC to terminate cases against Kenya's two high-profile politicians. In economics, Botswana to use some of its 8.5 billion US dollars in foreign exchange reserves to stimulate the economy. And in sports, the newly appointed Minister of Sports and Recreation challenges Zimbabwe cricket. Here's Asanda Matonyane with your news. was widespread in the country's presidential vote that saw millions head to the polls on Sunday. The Union for the Democratic Forces of Guinea Party says ballot boxes were stuffed by members of the government, soldiers voted by proxy at several voting stations, and security forces expelled vote counters at others. The party of main opposition candidate Solo Dalai Diallo last week called for a delay but the Electoral Commission refused, saying everything was in order. An analyst at the Institute for International Affairs in South Africa, Stephen Grudz, believes that while the International Criminal Court has not always lived up to its mandate, it remains relevant. South Africa's ruling ANC party this weekend urged the government to withdraw from the ICC. Relations between South Africa and the ICC deteriorated after South Africa ignored a court order to arrest Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir. Grud says South Africa should remain a member and try to reform it from within. Lesotho's Defence Force Brigadier Ramanka Makaloba one of the army officers on the list that was allegedly targeted by an alleged mutiny is testifying at the Sadek Commission of Inquiry. The commission is investigating instability in Lesotho and the death of former commander Maparangwe Mahao. Mogaloba says claims by the opposition that there are divisions in the army following the reappointment of Lieutenant General Tladi Kamudi are not true and attempts to destabilize the army by some politicians and senior government officials have failed. Mogaloba maintains the alleged mutiny was dissent, not division. Head of the rheumatology at Tigerberg Hospital in Cape Town, South Africa, Dr. Mo Mani, says the scale of arthritis in South Africa is often underrated. This comes as World Arthritis Day is being marked. Mani says the aim of the day, which was first observed in 1996, is to raise awareness about the disease. This disease, although not immediately life-threatening, is a chronic, incurable disease which results in long-term suffering. The patient not only suffers from pain and swelling of the joints, but often leads to severe disability. 
It's a condition that affects roughly a quarter of the population. It, it imposes a huge economic burden, not only on the family, but also on the state. And finally, South Africa has been granted a postponement in the sentencing of Czech fugitive Rodovan Krecher and his five co-accused who were convicted of attempted murder, kidnapping and drug dealing. The state asked for a postponement in the High Court in Johannesburg today. Three days have been set aside for sentencing proceedings, October 28th as well as November 17th and 19th. This is the second time sentencing has been postponed. For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyani. Thank you very much, Asanda, with that news update at 17.05 Central African Time. You're listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomela Lezondi with you until 1800 hours. Now, Guineans went to the polls to elect the next president. International observers and anti-riot police watched over the polling stations. Eight candidates, including the incumbent president, Alpha Conte, are in the race. In the second time, the West African country is holding democratic presidential elections since independence in 1958. But on Saturday, just eight days prior to the elections, clashes broke out in several areas of the capital, Conakry. Some members of the ruling party a rally of the Guinean people and opposition parties clashed. President Alpha Conte, who is tipped to win a second term, led appeals for calm. To get the latest on the situation, we're joined on the line by Jean-Pierre Gilavogi, Director of Information at Planet FM. Hello, Guy. Hello, Jean-Pierre, rather. Jean-Pierre? Yeah. Um, hello and welcome to Channel Africa. Yeah, uh... I'm doing fine. Yeah. Um, Jean-Pierre, could you just tell us what is happening right now in Conakry, where you are? But right now, we are all waiting for the register after the election. You know, yesterday, Guinea people go to choose their future president. So after that, we are all waiting here for, for the register from the National Commission for this election. Mm-hmm. Um, there were clashes on Saturday before the elections. Is there calm right now? What? I'm asking whether this, whether people are not fighting anymore as they were fighting on Saturday. Yeah, no, they are not fighting now. They are all waiting for the election. You know, in this uh, afternoon, the seven leaders make a conference with uh, Jean-Pierre, are we here? You can continue. Yeah, I say in this afternoon, the seven leaders they make a conference with uh, with uh, press. Uh-huh. Um, they say that they, they say that they are not going to to accept the resistance from uh, commission. Why is that? Why will they not accept the results? Yeah, because the that the elections is not uh, uh, some people still they are white in this election, so they are not going to accept it. That's why they are not going to accept it. All right. So when can we expect the results to be out? 
say they are just waiting for see what the commissioner are going to tell them in tomorrow because of tomorrow the commissioner are going to give some register after this election. All so right. we are all waiting for that register from the National Commission for this election. All right, so Jean-Pierre Gilavoki, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, so Jean-Pierre Gilavoki is the Director of Information at Planet FM. The African Union has asked International Criminal Court ICC to terminate the two Kenyan cases against Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and radio journalist George Wasang on grounds that the ICC prosecutor Fatou Bansunda was planning to use false and recounted evidence by five key witnesses. Kenya's Deputy President alongside the radio journalists are both facing crimes against humanity charges after the disputed 2007 post-election violence where more than 1,300 people were killed and hundreds displaced from their homes. Mikey Konya reports from Nairobi. According to the African Union, the two Kenyan cases at the International Criminal Court ICC should be dropped immediately on grounds that the ICC Chief Prosecutor Fatou Ben Suda was planning to use false recanted evidence by five key witnesses against the country's Deputy President William Ruto and radio journalist Joshua Sang. The AU has accused the ICC of applying court procedures retrospectively on the recanted evidence. According to the African Union, the false and recanted evidence by the five key witnesses should not be applied on the case against William Ruto because AU signed an amendment to the ICC rules of procedure and evidence at a time when the two cases had already started. Fatou Ben Suda has been seeking to be allowed to use recanted evidence by key witnesses who have either withdrawn from the case or have failed to testify against the deputy president. The deputy president and the radio journalists have both been charged at the Hague-based ICC for crimes against humanity during the disputed 2007 post-election violence. More than 1,300 people are killed and hundreds displaced from their homes. And according to Kenya's foreign minister Amina Mohammed, the use of false and recanted evidence at the ICC is a serious issue that need to be discussed by the African continent. Africa feels, right, that it wants and needs to relate uh, with, the, with the ICC. And this is, these are issues that have been raised before. Uh, these are issues that have been on the table. Um, these are issues that relate to the um, responses that Africa gets from just, not just even the, the, the ICC, but the whole international criminal justice system. You know. so, uh, so let's not you know, minimize these issues. I, I know that uh, there are domestic interests, right, but let's not minimize them. Because the discussions that will take place on the 27th of this month in New York are about the relationship between the ICC and the continent. And in Kenya, politicians drawn from the ruling party have also made fervent call to the ICC to drop the two cases. Since there is probability for violence to recur in Kenya should the two be convicted at the ICC. The accused ICC foreshowed investigation by the former ICC prosecutor in the Ruto case. And according to Peter Ketel of the ruling party, The deputy president should continue attending ICC sessions as they confront the ICC through political means. We are telling our deputy president William Bruto to continue cooperating with ICC and us as leaders, we are going to fight ICC politically and even by prayers starting tomorrow. Also, majority of Kenyans are also asking for the termination of the two cases. There has been accusations and counter-accusations between political parties in Kenya 
on the ongoing Kenyan cases at the ICC. The ruling party claims the leader of the opposition in Kenya, Raira Odinga, procured false witnesses against the deputy president for political motives. They want him to appear before the deputy public prosecutor in Kenya and adduce the truth on the Ruto case. The ICC is acting on behalf of the West by ridiculing, insulting our leaders and even terrorizing them. I want to ask the ICC, who will issue the warrants against the ICC officers that concocted a case that never was, that bribed witnesses to get a case that never was, that made sure that they paid witnesses to get a narrative that was not there? That's the question we want to ask. At the moment, the deputy president case that the ICC hangs on the balance. According to the ICC chief prosecutor, the current evidence against them is inadequate to support the charges. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Rwanda Supreme Court has ruled that the opposition Democratic Green Party has lost the case in which they had petitioned Parliament not to amend the Constitution to remove presidential term limits. The party is seeking to halt the ongoing process to amend the Rwandan Constitution to remove term limits and allow President Paul Kagame who is serving his second seven-year term to contest against, again in 2017, rather, Sylvanas Karemera is in Kigali. In its application to the Supreme Court, the Democratic Green Party of Rwanda had argued that the Rwandan Constitution had articles that were intangible, one of them being Article 101, which talks of term limits of the President, an argument that the Supreme Court termed as baseless. In the ruling that took less than an hour, Rwanda's Chief Justice Sam Rujeje noted that all constitutional clauses are subject to change, apart from Article 193, which provides for the process through which the constitution can be amended. What is going on in Rwanda today with regards to the calls for constitutional change to remove time limits was nothing unusual, he said. The Democratic Green Party now says to seek another avenues to make their case heard, including a petition President Paul Kagame. We are not pleased with the decision of the Supreme Court, but because the Supreme Court is the highest court of the land, we don't have any other court of appeal. But we are going to request the President of the Republic, because the Supreme Granter of the Constitution, to reconsider our position, also to give his view, because we think that since he's a Supreme Granter, and I think he can he can still give a reason to what we have been saying. But as for the court, there's no any other court of appeal here. Around 4 million people had earlier this year petitioned the parliament demanding constitutional amendment which seems to pay off with the subsequent establishment of a seven-member constitution review committee in place ready. But Dr. Frank Habineza says the number does not provide any legitimate ground for constitutional change. The country of Rwanda does not have only 4 million, we have 12 million people here in Rwanda. Uh, but also uh, we have other millions, at least 4 million Rwandans in Uganda and uh, other many Rwandans in diaspora. So uh, uh, the 4 million does not really stand for uh, the whole of Rwandans in the whole uh, world or in the country. So that was not uh, a big issue. And also we mentioned before that uh, even those uh, signatures there were not scientifically verified. So we cannot really be so sure that uh, there are really 4 million who signed so, because they were not scientifically verified. With this, however, a referendum that would see term limits abolished to allow President Paul Gami to run for office again after his second term ends in 2017 is likely to go through. In an earlier press conference this year, President Gami was categorical that he stood on the side of those who did not want the constitution amended, but was quick to add that those that wanted it changed to allow him to run for the office had the right 
to that opinion. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lilian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1717 Central African Time, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomele Lezondi. The Ethiopian government is putting effort to increase food production in the western parts of the country so as to save drought-affected eastern parts of the country. The country's eastern region has been affected by drought following a poor rainy season this year, forcing the country to increase the number of people in need of relief food by 1.6 million. Koleto Anjoye reports... While the eastern region of Ethiopia is curbed by dire drought, there is still hope in the western region of the country where food production can still be sustained. The government is now starting the introduction of hybrid seeds for maize that will guarantee more yields as compared to what is harvested using conventional style of planting, hence increasing food security in the country. Siba Tesesgen is from the Ministry of Agriculture in Ethiopia. He is the senior expert in crop development and seed production extension in the Oromia region of the country. He says that a higher production will help the areas affected by drought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the western part of the country, no uh, uh, shortage of rain. But the eastern part of the country, there is a shortage of uh, rain. So we have to uh, work to compensate their production in the western part of the country. So there enough rain and uh, satisfy the uh, is enough for crop production in the western part of the country. So we are promoting to produce more in the western part uh, to feed the eastern part of the country people. At the moment, the government has set up demonstration farms in this western region of the country to show the farmers how to plant and care for the hybrid seeds and also prove to them the potential of increasing production per acre. Melaku Admasu is the representative of DuPoint Pioneer, the company that is providing the hybrid seeds to the farmers. He explains that these hybrid maize seeds are not genetically modified. Well, initially... In, in Ethiopia, the open pollinated seed were getting, they were getting was 1.7 metric ton per hectare. But now, with the availability of technology, the seed, the fertilizer, proper agronomic management, the national average of corn is now about 3.3 ton per hectare. That is a national average. When specific come to pioneer to point hybrid, if they well managed, they can get seven to eight ton. It's very, very common now. And you see, uh, by, do, by planting the pioneer hybrid, most of the farmers, they get better yield, 
and the, 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 they have enough for the whole year for consumption and also they sell out the remaining stock to, to the market. This project is part of a $3 billion fund committed by the U.S. government under a program called Feed the Future. Vanessa Adams is the head of the Agribusiness Market Development Program, a program under USAID that also facilitates market channels for maize farmer unions. In any community, you have a few people who will be the leaders, the pioneers. So we have to leverage their leadership skill. That's why demonstrations are also about picking the right model farmer who can talk about it, who can express how he made a difference, uh, and also who can sell it. And so his leadership is going to be critical in that community. Uh, it's also about the cooperatives, the strength of aggregation, uh, and of course access to finance and the market. So it's about integrating the supply chain. For now, this program is relying on lead farmers in different regions. These are the few farmers that are already using the hybrid seeds for maize and are being used as an example to encourage other farmers in their respective regions to start using the hybrid seeds. Colette Onjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1 over there. And you can tell us about any of the stories that you hear right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, what's called the Ecomobility World Festival is underway in Senten, the affluent economic hub of Johannesburg, South Africa, which aims to showcase what a car-free precinct would look like. The international event brings together decision makers and experts in the fields of transport and environment to deliberate on how to demonstrate an eco-mobile future and a public transport system which makes walking and cycling attractive and accessible. However, since its inception, there have been complaints by some centers and locals on the inconvenience of the road closures. To help us understand more about Ecomobility, Channel Africa spoke to Conrad Otto Zimmerman, Creative Director of the Ecomobility World Festival, Sipunt Lapo, Operations Manager for Mobility and Freight at the Johannesburg Roads Agency and Planning Member of Ecomobility and Gaul Train Management Agency, CEO Jack Van Niekerk. The goal in a South Korean city where one neighborhood lived car-free for one entire month. This was quite successful. Now Johannesburg has decided to take on, uh, let's say, a much bigger bite, and that is the center and central business district. And, of course, you cannot make a central business district car-free for a whole month, but the, the issue is how can uh, we act upon the complaints of uh, congestion and, uh, of course, take also the global climate and the impact that traffic and transport have on uh, climate change into account in order to do one month where people could experience how a different future could look like. So what we see here is changed uh, traffic flow scheme is, of course, an intensive work with um, uh, communications work, um, uh, stakeholder involvement work uh, in respect of the commuters and the uh, businesses in order to make people understand they should take this month to make another experience of commuting, take um, the bus, take um, for the last mile bicycles or walk as much as possible and uh, get that experience. And at the same time, the city can make an experience how to manage the traffic so 
that we have national cars in the road. We move that to Sipon Tlapo, who's the operations manager for mobility and freight at the Johannesburg Roads Agency. What has the response been? Because from where we are sitting, sometimes we've seen a mixed response, really. Some people saying, hey, this has created an inconvenience, especially from the locals within Santon. Some of the workers saying, hey, actually, we don't know where to park our cars. We don't know how to move around Santon with this particular view. The responses, as you say, they've been mixed. But that's exactly what we were hoping for as the city of Johannesburg, to create a discussion and a conversation around the issues of congestion in Santin, around the issues of how do we begin to change how Santin operates so that it can actually become bigger than it is in terms of economic development. So we, we expected that. We're not living in a country whereby we uh, people, people are of same tainted. You know, people have to have different views. And it's out of those views that allows us as the city of Johannesburg to plan better so that we can be able to understand from all points that how best do we move forward. And let me move on to also the How Train Management Agency CEO, uh, Mr. Jack van der Merwe. What's also interesting about what's happening here in terms of uh, the Ecomobility World Festival is the fact that since uh, it has been announced, uh, the How Train has shown substantial passenger increase of 7.7 on its train passenger trips. This is an interesting development. Yes, uh, you know, the challenge facing every, every urban area in the world is to do three shifts, to move from low-class transport to non-low-class transport, to move from private car use to public transport, and to move from road to, to rail. So this is really a, a test. And uh, I've just been looking at the, the numbers. We've actually had an increase of 10,245 passengers on the train last week. And remember, this is a, a holiday, school holiday week, where our numbers are traditionally down, so I'm, and I look forward to looking at it this week. The, the schools are back again, what, what the actual numbers are. So I think we've actually uh, done quite well. And, and it's actually showing people to make public transport a mode of choice. Well, let me bring it back to you, Conrad. You say this is not the first time this kind of um, event has taken place. Um, in terms of your first one that you did, what have you learned looking backwards? What I had kicked off as a transport-oriented program or festival project turned actually out to be a social learning experience. Mm. And basically after the first festival came to a close, uh, people in the neighborhood, in the area, were really screaming they wanted not the SUVs to, to enter back their, their neighborhood. They wanted some elements of traffic calming, reducing speed, uh, reducing or, or limiting the uh, parking in the streets and so on to stay forever. And they actually asked the city to implement such measures on an ongoing basis and the city of Suwon in Korea then followed their wish and did it. I would think the discussion that has been kicked off here in Centen at this second uh, e-mobility festival, that will sit in people's minds. Yesterday I met a couple of uh, schoolgirls. Um, they actually uh, talked about eco-mobility in a very mature and uh, sense, they, I think, have understood it very, very well. Their problems were the parents that are insisting to, to give them a lift to school. And they said all these cars of the mothers bringing kids to school are congesting the city and is not necessary. They would want to, to cycle or to walk to school, uh, but the parents didn't let them. So I think the discussion goes now into the families, and this is, I think, a very good thing. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. 
from an African perspective. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. All right, the clip you heard before the break was um, Dr. Conrad Otto Zimmerman, who is the creative director of the Eco-Mobility World Festival. There was also Sipuntla, Poor Operations Manager for Mobility and Freight at the Johannesburg Roads Agency and Planning Member of Eco-Mobility and Train Management Agency CEO, Jack van der Melver. They were speaking to my colleague, Benjamin Moshatama, earlier today. It's time for news headlines. Here's Asanda Matawanyan. Good evening. Burundi's government organized marches across the country over the weekend in support of security forces following sanctions against four military and police officers taken by the European Union. Lesotho's Defense Force Brigadier Ramanka Makaloba testifies that the SADC Commission of Inquiry and World Arthritis Day is marked through awareness today. Your news headlines here on Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Listen to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance with Miss Pamela Lesondi. I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours this evening. Now, a smoldering heat wave continues to overwhelm large parts of northern South Africa with many homes without air conditioning facilities. Extreme heat can be dangerous for one's health. Very high temperatures may result in heat-related illnesses such as heat cramps, heat stroke with serious complications due to the rapid rise in body temperature. To discuss some of the ways to survive in the extreme temperatures, we are joined on the line by Lin Moeng, Chief Director for Health Promotion, Nutrition and Oral Health at the National Department of Health. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Lynn. Good afternoon and welcome to um, good afternoon to the listener. All right, Lynn, do you think that a lot of people are aware of the dangers of heat wave conditions? I don't think so. I mean, if you see people going on doing their work as usual, even on very hot days, it's an indication that there is limited understanding of the actual danger. Of, of heat waves, and I think we often go out unprepared for the temperatures. What should we do in order to be prepared for the temperatures? I, I think one of the critical issues is even to change your times when you do your work, because at times you find people jogging midday when it's too hot, and that's very dangerous. So most of the work that you need to do outside, you either do it early morning or late afternoon. But the, the critical issue is that people must drink lots of water, avoid those drinks that can dehydrate you, yeah, like alcohol, um, coffee, caffeine, which is very dehydrating, and high-sugar drinks, 
you, you just need to drink ordinary water or add a little bit of, you know, the salt sugar solution that we usually give when people have diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Or you can drink the, the drinks that people take when they do um, the, the, the sugar solution drinks or sports drinks that mm-hmm. people drink. So it's, it's very critical to replace the water, stay in cool areas, change the times when you work, and slow down in most of the activities that you do so that you can actually do them either morning or late afternoon. But also try to wear clothes that do not affect heat, like black clothes. Um, But but one of the critical things is warning parents to keep children away from the heat, even sick people, and leaving your children in the car is even more dangerous now than it it can be on any other day. Mm. Um, Lynn, this is not a health question, but why are we calling it a heat wave this time around? Is, is it because it's, it's hotter than normal? Um, it's, it's hotter than it would usually be this time of the year? It, it's hotter than normal. I mean, uh, we have temperatures 36, 37, and normally these you'd find them around December, January. It's too early to have such high temperatures. So it, it's, a, and it's, it's called a wave because it's also a passing very high temperature period, especially for this time of the year, if I may say that. Mm. And the temperatures are also very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and people must be prepared. You also mentioned that people need to stay away from high sugar drinks. Are you talking about fizzy drinks in this situation? And, and perhaps I'm fru- talking about fizzy, high sugar fizzy drinks, yeah. caffeine and alcohol, because these are very dehydrating. If you drink high sugar drinks, you want to drink more and more. And if you drink alcohol, you urinate a lot. If you drink coffee, you urinate a lot. So meaning you lose a lot of fluid as well. That needs to be replaced. Mm. Um, it's just that a lot of people yeah. would gravitate towards fizzy drinks um, in hot conditions like this, and they would think that they, they would probably cool them down as well. Are fruit juices, are those okay? Should Fruit juices, I think taking lots of those is also not good for you. I mean, the sugar that's from fruit eventually gets turned into sugar. So you have to limit. You can mix them with water, but do not drink very high sweetened drinks. Okay. Even fruit juice, you can't take a lot of it. Yes, it replaces some of the nutrients that you need in the body, but the sugar in those drinks, and most of the drinks, even the fruit juices have sugar added to them. So one has to be very careful. Uh-huh. What you are taking. So you're saying we should just stick to water. Um, all right. So water, my um, just give us um, r- some of the risk factors that increase one's risk of heat-related illnesses. Uh, you, you will find of the risks are very mild. I mean, you'll find people being dizzy, some tired, nauseous. But some of those risks can be fatal, actually can be very, very dangerous. Like people can have a heat stroke and your body will have extremely high temperature, your skin feeling very hot, and if it's not handled by medical experts timely, that can be very fatal. So so the mild ones can be handled where a person can be kept cool, maybe pour a little bit, not very cold water, but, you know, pour water or drink a bit of water. But when it's severe, it needs immediate medical attention, and you can assess that if your body feels extremely high in temperature, the person becomes a bit confused now. Then you know that person needs medical attention and needs to be hospitalized. So, so there, there are at times you feel stomach cramps, 
and you, you may think that you have eaten something that is off only to find that it's cramped from the heat wave. So your body temperature rises very high. You have lost a lot of water. You have lost salts and minerals in your body and all those need to be replaced. Mm. Um, skin diseases as well, yes, no? Skin diseases, yes, with exposure to sunlight uh, over time, definitely. I mean, the skin cancers are from that. Uh, so, so anyway, whether it's through the heat wave or whatever, people always have to protect themselves when, when they walk around in the sun. Shave your head. Uh, for those that can afford uh, sunblocks, you need to put all those on your body. It, it's critical, whether you have a dark complexion or not. Because there's a tendency that black people don't need to be protecting themselves. You need to. Yeah. It's, it's important, yes. Yeah. And, and then if you find that you have some of um, these symptoms that you have just mentioned, what should you do? Are there any corrective measures you can take at home or should you go to the doctor immediately? It depends on, on the mildness or the severity of, of the symptoms. If it's just uh, exhaustion heavy sweating, maybe you feel mild cramps, you can still handle those by relaxing, staying cool, and sitting water gradually and, and keeping in a cool place. But if your body temperature is, is extremely high and you are already feeling those uh, heavy muscle cramps and, and uh, you have a headache, dizziness, and you are getting confused, the immediate thing is for someone to call a doctor or for you to be taken to a medical center immediately. Mm. Um, when yes. visiting countries in North Africa or the Middle East, one would see that um, a lot of them start working at about 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Um, a in lot of afternoon. offices um, open in the afternoon or they would work in the morning, take a, um, a break at about 10, 11, and then go back again to work at about 3 in the afternoon. Is this something yes. that maybe some should consider doing as South Africa is, ex- is experiencing a heat wave? Maybe some companies um, should uh, should consider doing this for its employees in order to, um, to assist in their health? I think for us, the challenge is that this heat is passing. It's, it's a few days and it's off and then some days it's a bit cooler. But if it were to continue for quite some time, definitely those are some of the measures that even schools would have to consider. Starting very early and uh, breaking at about 11 and then maybe starting again in the afternoon. Even at workplaces, times needs to be changing if this has to continue for quite some time where people can walk, can start working very early. Take a longish break, especially if you are working outside where the offices are not condi- air-conditioned. But for those working in offices that are air-conditioned, it doesn't make it a big difference. But for most people who are in, in air, work, especially working outside, where it's hot and you are facing the heat directly, time, working times will definitely have to be altered. It's, it's critical that you can start working from 6 a.m., stop at 10, 11, and then continue again in the afternoon. That would save a lot of lives. Actually, the reason why we are warning people is that if more people get sick because of heat, it affects the health center and, and the, it affects the health system. It's costly for us, whereas most of these can be prevented even before people can be very sick. Mm, we would want to pre- measures have to be taken, yes. Yeah, we definitely want to prevent them because we remember in Egypt a couple of months ago, they were experiencing a heat wave and they were reporting deaths as a result of the heat. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, Lynn Mueng. Thank you. Thank you very much for
All right, Lin Mueng is saying we should drink a lot of water as a result of this heat wave and stay away from fizzy drinks and um, don't drink too much fruit juices. Lin Mueng is the Chief Director for Health Promotion, Nutrition and Oral Health at the National Department of Health in South Africa. South Africa's Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, AMCU, which represents thousands of mine workers in the country, voted yesterday to strike at the operations of some major gold producers, Anglo Gold, Ashanti, Hamane Gold and Sibanya Gold. The whole gold sector, according to the union, voted for a strike. AMCU, which had led a five-month strike in the platinum sector last year and is known for its uncompromising stance, is demanding a basic salary of about 940 US dollars a month for entry-level miners. More than a double the current levels. South Africa's gold producers say they cannot afford such a demand. More from ANCU President Joseph Matunjo. We did have a central mass meeting yesterday whereby all members of AMCO were, were in attendance and they voted overwhelmingly. That stadium was fully packed. We were over 10,000 members who were in that stadium, and even it was long even outside for that matter. The other unions have signed the agreement with Anglo called Ashanti and Harmony, which is NEM Solidarity in Uwasa. Our members have rejected such agreement, of which they believe that it doesn't address their challenges. Sibanyi hasn't signed it, which we congratulate Sibanyi by not doing that because they really know that we still have to engage. As AMCO, we are still going to engage with these employers as we did with the platinum sector. What are the workers demanding, Mr. Matunja, and how has the employer responded to those demands? The demands, they it was a basic salary of 12500 That was their demand, and with excluding the benefits. So we believe that the employers can do better than this. Uh, Gold is not like coal. Uh, Gold is something else in terms of minerals. So therefore, the employers should really look serious of how to change the lives of their employees. If you look uh, from 2002 to 2010, Almost the workers, they've lost about 100 billion in terms of the wage value. But contrary to that, the, the Reserve Bank has made a profit, declared profit, or the money that went, the capital profit that went to Reserve Bank is over 315 billion out of 815 billion. So that, therefore, it shows that, uh, I mean, these companies, they can do better especially for the mine workers in this industry. The employers, how many they put for the first year that they will increase their salaries with 600 rand for the first year and the second year 625 and the third year 650. And the, I think that Anglo called Ashanti is 750 for the first year and the 775 for the second year and and 800 for the third year of which Sibanye is 675 uh, and then goes uh, to about 800 in the third year and what can you do with 600 rand or 700 rand at the end of the day you still have to pay your daily consumption your electricity you have to pay your school fees for your children 
I mean, how these workers will ever see the light in this democracy? This is the issue of the structural colonial wage structure that was created mainly for the black mine workers. 21 years in democracy, mine workers haven't seen the sun. Till when? No one is prepared. No one is prepared to change the lives of the mine workers. The gold workers are worst off than any mine workers in South Africa. Going forward, Mr. Matunjo, what's going to happen? You voted yesterday. We understand that the Chamber of Mines has said that Harmony and Anglo Gold will go to court to prevent AMCU from striking because they have signed wage deals with three other unions representing most of their workers. We're going to call a press conference on Wednesday. Then we'll put our way forward after we've been given the mandate that we can issue the 48 hours. If it's a legal issue, we'll fight them. We are not going to allow Chamber of Mine to dictate the future of the black mine workers in the 21st century in South Africa. We cannot. We cannot. Our fathers, our families cannot generation to generation be enslaved by this mine and left unattended. That cannot be. Joseph Matundra is the president of the South African Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, talking to Selina Ndobong. Hi, I'm Kwasazana Lamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1745 Central African Time. Here's Usena Matebula with your economic news. Thanks, Pumelele. AB InBev made a fresh approach to SAB Mila with an improved offer. This as the world's largest brewer tries to win over its smaller rival to the idea of creating a global brewing giant. The exact price was not clear. Three of SAB Miller's top 10 shareholders have already spoken out in support of the board, rejecting AB InBev's previous offer. Vusinkosi reports. AB InBev has until close of business on Wednesday to launch a formal bid for SAP Miller in what would be the biggest UK company takeover ever. It has already gone public with three informal offers which were rejected by SAP Miller's board, excluding the three directors nominated by cigarette maker Altia Group, SAP's largest shareholder with a 27% stake. South Africa's Public Investment Corporation and Scotland's Aberdeen Asset Investment have all publicly sided with SAP Miller. Altogether, their holdings account for 8.2% of the company. And South Africa's renewable energy industry is steadily developing and is beginning to supply the national grid with power. Sisa Njigela, who is chairperson of the South African Independent Power Producers Association, says this is made possible by the government bidding process and the budgets allocated for these papers. Our members have rejected such agreement of which they believe that it doesn't address their challenges. Sibanyi hasn't signed it, which we congratulate Sibanyi by not doing that because they really know that we still have to engage. 
as AMCO, we are still going to engage with these employers as we did with the platinum sector. And Mauritius plans to launch a trading platform to hedge African currencies against the U.S. dollar as part of a bid to expand its role as a financial hub for the continent. The Indian Ocean Island is also in talks to boost ties with stock exchanges in Johannesburg in South Africa and Nairobi in Kenya to encourage cross-listing of shares and other areas of cooperation. The international financial services sector in Mauritius has relied heavily on dealings with India, helped by a double taxation avoidance treaty that made the island the biggest route for foreign investments into India. And Botswana will use some of its uh, 8.5 billion US dollars in a foreign exchange reserve to stimulate the economy. This comes after a drop in diamond prices hit growth in the world's biggest producer. Botswana in September slashed its 2015 growth focus from 5% to 2.6%. The Southern African nation is expected to post a budget deficit this year and next year. Diamonds account for around 75% of Botswana's foreign exchange earnings and 30% of its GDP. Meanwhile, South African exports uh, have uh, failed uh, to take uh, full advantage of the rent currencies. Nearly 15% drop this year, hamstrung by electricity constraints, labor tensions and an over-reliance on uh, commodity trade with China. The export sector has emerged as a key driver of growth in Africa's most advanced economy. This as domestic demand wanes uh, with real net exports, making the largest contribution to the gross domestic product in the second quarter at 6.1 percentage points. Although exports performed better in the first half of 2015 compared with last year, this was mainly off a low base of the prolonged wage-related stoppages. And that's how it's looking. It's time for Sports News. Thank you, Isani. Here's Tim McDoza. Thanks for joining us in your sport. The newly appointed Minister of Sports and Recreation, Marco Sinislongwane, has challenged Zimbabwean cricket to go into the rural areas in search of talent. The minister says that the cricket authorities should not concentrate their efforts in towns and cities only, but should spread the game to all parts of the country. He was speaking during a tour of Harare Sports Club on Monday. The Zimbabwe cricket team has been in free fall for some time, with observers blaming this on the non-emergence of new talent. Klongwani, who replaced Andrew Langa three weeks ago, has been meeting various sporting stakeholders, but is still to meet the Zimbabwe Football Association, who have made headlines for, the wrong, for all the wrong reasons. And now in soccer, four South African Orlando Pirates players have been nominated in the Cavs Player of the Year based in Africa Awards. The four, Philip Ovono, Kimit Erasmus, Opa Manyisa and Tamsang Kabuza, are nominated for their role in helping the Buccaneers reach the Cav Confederations Cup final where they face Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. 
And Zambia's 19-year-old winless run against Egypt continued on Sunday when they lost away in a friendly to the Faroes in Dubai. The record seven-time African champions crushed Zambia 3-0 on Sunday night. Ahmed Hassan scored a brace with goals in the fifth and 48 minutes. Before Amir Gamal added the final goal in stoppage time, Zambia have now lost seven out of their last eight meetings with one draw. Since beating Egypt 3-1 in the 1996 Africa Cup of Nations quarterfinals here in South Africa. The Botswana Senior National Football Team, the Zebras, are in good position to proceed to the next round of the 2018 World Cup qualifiers after beating the Red Sea Camels of Eritrea 2-0 in the first leg match in Cesero Stadium in Asmara on Saturday. Khabalangwe Moyana and the team's captain, Joel Mohorosi, scored the Zebras' two crucial goals in the first and second half, respectively. The two teams meet again in the second leg in Francistown Sports Complex on Tuesday evening, and the Zebras would need to work hard to avoid conceding two goals. And now in rugby, South African Springbok team Dr. Craig Roberts said that the Springboks has two injury doubts ahead of their Rugby World Cup quarterfinal feature against Wales. Victor Matfield is still suffering from a hamstring strain, while J.B. Peterson is said to have made a recovery from his knee injury and might be available for the game against Wales. Craig Roberts. It's nice to give a medical report four days after a game, so we've had a bit of time to recover and get through the bumps and bruises. And uh, Thankfully, in the USA game, we, we didn't pick up any significant injuries, which is, which is great news. Uh, at the moment, the two guys we need to make a call on for the weekend is, is Victor. He's doing really well with his uh, coming back from that hamstring strain of his. We'll see how he goes at training today and make the call for, for the weekend. Uh, the other one is JP, who jarred his knee. That's settled really nicely. He should be available for the weekend, but he's got to get through a couple of training sessions first before we can clear him. So effectively, everyone available for selection, which is great news. Robert says that Medfield had done well during his fitness test over the weekend and his fitness, his fitness to play in the quarterfinals will only be determined during the course of the week. I think Vic's got a good chance. <laughs> he, may, he could maybe answer it himself. He knows himself better than anyone. Uh, ran nicely yesterday, ran nicely today. Uh, as I said, we want to get him through a training session, make sure he can do the functional rugby stuff that we need him to do. And based on that, we'll make the decision for the weekend. But at this stage, looking good. And finally, for the second time in three years, Kenyans swept the Bank of America Chicago Marathon titles at the IWAF Gold Label Road Race 2015. Francis Mutegi has more. Kenya's Florence Kiplagat asserted herself in front of the lead pack of seven runners for the majority of the race before pulling away in the final five kilometers of the race and crossing the finish line in two hours, 23 minutes and 33 seconds. Ethiopians Yebrualgal Melese and Birhane Dibaba were the second and third women in two hours, 23 and 43 seconds and two hours, 24 and 24 seconds respectively to round out the podium finishes. Dixon Chumba of Kenya claimed the men's title in 2 hours, 9 minutes and 25 seconds. Compatriots Sami Kitwara and Sami Ndungu were the second and third placed finishers for the men in 2 hours, 9 minutes and 50 seconds, 2 hours, 10 minutes and 6 seconds respectively. Kiplegat's winning time put her 20th on this year's world season list and netted her 25 points in the 2015-2016 Abbott World Marathon Majors standings. And that's the end of our sports. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Spumelele Zondi.
This is Africa Digest. Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. Counting begins following elections in Guinea Conakry. AU asks the ICC to terminate cases against Kenya's two high profile politicians. In economics, Botswana to use some of its 8.5 billion US dollars in foreign exchange reserves to stimulate the economy. And in sports, the newly appointed Minister of Sports and Reconciliation challenges Zimbabwe cricket. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spumela Lizondi, producer Luanda Maome, technical producer Sishenko, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, run plus 27-796-957-930, plus 27-796-957-930. And it is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter, that is Channel Africa 1. We leave you with Uyakumbola by Dando.